Hey, Bulls Nation, welcome back for part two of our executive decision episode with guest Michael Walton from the Action Network and Bulls Confidential. In part one, we left off with Mike playing the role of the Bulls Brain Trust signing Dennis Schroeder. And for the sake of of this, I'm going to say that you signed him. You said that you would sign him to a deal roughly about $17 to $19 million a year. Let's just say for the sake of this exercise, you signed him right dab in the middle at $18 million a year. Now, you also mentioned that you would want to add some wing players. And the wing players you brought up were Tim Hardaway Jr., Jason Richardson, and Danny Green. Which of those would you go with? You know, since you have Schroeder locked up for $18 million a year, you do have some money to spend. So you could go with somebody like Hardaway Jr. Or do you want to go with that value play of either Danny Green or Josh Richardson? Um, yeah, so I would actually go for more the the value play, like the Danny Green, because, again, while that shot creation in terms of being able to you know create their own shot, it is important. I think, the fir- again, first and foremost, has got to be the defense. Danny Green has a proven track record as a defender. Um, but even if you want to go more reasonable and more affordable, um, Trevor Ariza, you know, a guy who's a 17-year veteran, uh, he may be available coming out of his deal with Miami. Um, Trevor Ariza obviously provides you some defense on the wing and still is capable of getting hot, um, you know, not scoring big numbers, but in terms of he can hit the open three-point shot. So Trevor Ariza is another guy I would look at. Um, same yeah. with a player like P.J. Tucker, to where P.J. Tucker may be, you know, thinking about leaving Milwaukee after the finals and maybe he wants to go to another team and do the same thing in terms of building up the culture. So PJ Tucker is another player with a proven track record of playing defense and being able to knock down the corner three, uh, both things, which I think are, are really important principles in Billy Donovan's system. And then we'll go with the rim protector. I mean, you, you basically named guys that probably are not going to come that expensive. I mean, uh, Boban maybe might be the most expensive guy. Maybe, well, JaVel McGee probably too. So, I, I'll, I'll let you pick. Which one do you want of the rim protectors you, you laid out there? Dwight, JaVel McGee, or Boban? Because you, you got some money still left. Yeah, um, out, out of those guys, uh, realistically, I think I would say JaVale. And again, if JaVale is, you know, willing and again, signing for, like you said, like a, a minimum level deal or, you know, just even a deal where he takes literally minimum money just to get a three-year, you know, commitment or something, I think JaVale just, you know, he's a vet who's still only 33 years old and has a proven track record of being with so many successful teams. He's somebody that's fun to have around in the locker room. And again, he goes more to the building the culture type thing. And I think he would be very happy to to be with a team that might actually be able to use him a little bit more uh, than Denver and, and some of his past stops have. All right, so to recap, Mike has signed, uh, playing the role, of course, of the Bulls, Brain Trust. He signed Dennis Schroeder to a two-year contract, around $18 million a year. He's bringing in uh, somebody like Danny Green or Trevor Reza for a value play as a veteran wing, and rim protector JaVale McGee at a uh, pretty, we'll say, decent uh, veteran rate. So with that in mind, you have that team plus your core of, of Zach, Vooch, Patrick Williams, Kobe White. Knowing that the goal is to make the playoffs, do you think the ceiling of this team you built is within that play-in range of 7 and 10 or 7 through 10 or within that 4 to 6 seed range? Um, So I think if everything pans right with that sort of roster that you just sort of named out there with the moves I made, 
you can get into um i don't want to say the four to six range because that's overselling them you know you need everything to go right pretty much for the team to hit four but i think realistically there's no reason that team isn't in the five through eight range if that makes sense so i think with that team you have an offense that works and is going to be maybe in the top half of the league just from the fact that again Schroeder and Levine are going to be finishing, putting pressure on the rim. And then Vucevic is going to benefit tremendously from having two guards in the backcourt who are excellent at getting to the rim, taking bigs towards the basket, freeing him up for even more open three-point shots. So, And then also, if you have the pick-and-roll game going with Schroeder, Levine, Vucevic, that means you always have a help defender coming in to help on rolls or on Vucevic pops to the three point line, which means that you're putting teams in rotation, opening up, opening, excuse me, opening up three point shooters on the wings. And that means you're creating open looks for guys like Danny green, who I had mentioned, or for Patrick Williams, who of course is already a pretty good three point shooter. Um, So I think realistically that team can easily be a six seed And for the Bulls, I think that's a huge step if that's where you are next season, considering that this team didn't even make the play-in tournament this past season. Um, I think that team gets you a six seed pretty easy because the defense was league average for the Bulls last year, and people considered them a bad defensive team, but the numbers actually said they were okay. So if they were okay with that personnel, I think if you tighten up the personnel a little bit more on defense and then also add players who just – heighten what Levine and Vucevic can do on offense. There's no reason the Bulls can't be close to league average, basically on both ends of the floor, um, which is a pretty safe, you know, recipe for a team that's going to be, you know, a six, seven seed. Um, And that's huge for the Bulls because obviously the six seed is where you talk about not even having to deal with the play-in tournament. And I think that's exactly where Karnaschovas would be happy to be, obviously. He would love to aim his sights a little higher. But what I will say is I think realistically that team is a six seed, which is big. But I think what's important is if you want to do something to get that team over the top um, outside of Kobe White or Patrick Williams developing, it's getting into this first round or in the second round of this current draft and grabbing a player who people are sleeping on in terms of contributing right now. And I know we sort of already went on over that, but I just wanted to mention a player who I didn't uh, say, Jared Butler. Um, he's turning 22 years old, I believe, soon. But he was the point guard on the national championship Baylor team. He is an absolute bulldog on defense. And as we've seen with Cam Johnson with the Phoenix Suns and players in past drafts, the older players tend to slip because age is a big thing. Um, now, there are drafts, mock drafts that have him going close to the lottery, so who knows? But if you can get a player who is an older college point guard and has a proven track record of, you know, three or even four years of being dominant defensively at the college level, those are the players I think you take a swing on in terms of moving into the first round to get because they can step in and contribute right away. Um, and just one more name I want to put out there, Sharif Cooper. People have probably heard about him. He's a point guard from Auburn who's a freshman. He's only six foot one. But he shot just under nine free throws a game. Now, that could have been an anomaly just from his one season. Again, there's not a lot to break down. There's just one season. But nine free throws a game for a 20-year-old six-foot-one point guard is incredible. 
Um, and he's the type of player that is exactly what the Bulls would need in terms of a shock to the system, because if those numbers are true, you know, in terms of holding up and projecting what he's going to be, Sharif Cooper, despite his size, is a guy who would get to the free throw line and be able to create tremendous looks for others. Um, one more guy is Jason Preston, point guard from Ohio. So, again, there are plenty of guys that the Bulls can look to who are older college players. Um, and then in the case of Sharif, Sharif Cooper, you know, younger players who have maybe one weakness in terms of he's supposed to be a minus on defense because of his size to where you can get one of those players. So if you package a high potential point guard prospect with Kobe White and then a veteran player like Dennis Schroeder, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think you can make a three-headed point guard. Um, the sort of maybe the sum of the parts make up more uh, than the total there. So I think you want to have multiple avenues to finding a starting point guard. And you almost want this veteran you signed to just be, you know, the fail safe in case those others don't work. Because I'm still of the mind that Kobe White can develop into a starting point guard in this league. Um, it's just the fact that he suffered that injury obviously puts a damper on his ability to hit the ground running. All right, I want to throw another scenario out at you. If let's say the team you built is under 500 at the deadline and they're floating in like that nine to 12 range in the Eastern conference that we saw the bulls kind of flirting with late in the season. At that point, uh, do you consider training Zach Levine and starting a rebuild again? Or are you as an over the cap team trying to make moves so that you can cement yourself in the playoff picture after the deadline. So you continue to make this an enticing situation. Um, I think you absolutely continue to stay married to the idea of trying to be a winning team. Um, And it just comes from the fact that first, there's a long, long history of teams going on great second half runs. So especially if things go poorly in the first half of the season in terms of record, you know, it's still going to be more important to look at what the team was doing well. You know, was the defense better? You know, was the offense more clean? And, you know, was it a case of they just played the best teams in the league? Or is it really that the Bulls are underperforming? Because I think there was a stretch of the season, you know, last year where without Levine, despite the fact that the team was losing every game, you could see Vucevic slowly becoming a bit more comfortable with his teammates in terms of on-the-court chemistry. And once you saw the Bulls weren't going to make the playoffs, those things became more important. So I definitely think um, even if the first half of the season goes poorly, you definitely keep trying to add to the team. You're a buyer rather than a seller. And so um, just to follow up your question, in terms of what I would do at that point, I think you get more aggressive. You consider moving, you know, every other first round pick that you legally can uh, with the caveat that you put some sort of lottery protection or some sort of top, you know, 14, top 10, whatever protection on them. Because I don't think you can be gun shy about trading first round picks for proven NBA talent that you think can help the team win. But at the same time, you just have to balance the fact that if what you said happens and the Bulls are a lottery team while trying to be a winning team, you obviously don't want to have a bunch of unprotected picks floating around (laughs) where you could be giving away a chance at the number one pick in the draft or something. But Arturis Karnachovic has already shown that he's smart enough and he's very shrewd when it comes to adding pick protections and things. So I don't worry about that as much, but um, if I'm the bulls and things are going poorly at the deadline, I just become even more of a buyer. You know, I say, you know, do we still need a point guard? Well, 
you know, who can we trade to find that player? Is the Vucevic thing not working? Obviously, it's pretty much, you know, you're married to Vucevic. I don't think even if you attach the pick, you're going to find a team that's taking Vucevic because he is what he is at this point mm-hmm. in his career. Um, but I think if Vucevic is really hurting the team, you know, you can do things in terms of lowering his minutes, you know, fiddling with the rotation. He's going to be with the Bulls long term, so I'm not worried about you know, Vucevic game to game, but you do have to realistically, you know, Billy Donovan at least does look in the mirror and be able to make the adjustments game to game, because at the end of the day, you know, feelings, team status matters, but the only thing that really matters is the Bulls getting into the playoffs, uh, because if they don't, the pressure will really, really be on. I want to actually accelerate to what you would do in, in the 2022 off season. So in your scenario, there's a team here that is within that five to eight range. Uh, and based on our discussion earlier, Zach Levine is coming back. If you're Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley. So with that in mind, Nikola Vucevic is owed $22 million entering the 2023 season. But what's really interesting about Vuce's deal is it keeps deescalating. So it's actually, I think 24 next year and it goes down to 22 the following year. And I, I'm actually of the mindset that he could be a movable asset because he's still a very productive player on offense. Like, even if he's not a 24 and 12 guy, he's probably going to be a solid like 18 and 9 guy, and and those don't grow on trees. So, I mean, if you wanted to create cap space because the 2022 free agency period continues to have some of the illustrious names that could be available now. I think we learned recently that that can change very quickly. Like this upcoming free agency class was supposed to be big, but most of those guys re-signed. Um, I don't know. Would you look to keep Vucevic or would you try to move him? Um, it's funny because I've actually sort of changed my mind with this. I was pretty initially upset with the deal just because as a player, or excuse me, as a person who was very attached to Wendell Carter um, and I saw sort of the obvious vision of window being the defense first player that sort of fits with Zach. Um, I was upset because I didn't see the Vucevic fit at first. I didn't really get what Vuce would, you know, do besides obviously putting up big numbers in terms of scoring um, and rebounding, even though I think his rebounding numbers are much more important just because the fact that he cleans up the defensive glass is so huge. Um, I would actually keep Vuce because of what you said. The de-escalating contract is big. It tells me that it sounds like he's a player that is willing to do things to help his team, again, be the best in terms of winning, where it's not like I'm expecting Vooch to all of a sudden accept a 50% pay cut one day, but it feels like he actually is committed to the team, fielding the best possible team. So he's a player where I'm not really looking to trade him or get rid of him anytime soon, because I think as he gets older and obviously, unfortunately, as his skills decline, um, you'll see Vooch, I think, take a contract that's worth what he's reasonably worth. Because, again, I don't. he's one of the rare superstars in this league where, again, I don't think we've ever seen him really overpaid just because he became a productive player so quickly and then he sort of hit his peak almost right away. So I don't think there's any reason to get rid of Vooch. And the main thing is as he gets older, uh, the main thing he's not going to lose is one, his shooting ability, and then two, <laughs> obviously his literal size, which probably obviously should be one. But um, with the way the league is trending and you see these switch-heavy defenses, I think when the Bulls make the playoffs, 
the obvious problem, the first problem, the elephant in the room that they that they will run into that day, assuming they make the playoffs with Vooch on the team, is the teams with dynamic point guards, a la the Atlantic Hawks or Atlanta Hawks, excuse me, with Trey Young. They'll be able to exploit Vucevic in the pick and roll because Vucevic can't guard Trey Young in space. Um, and if they decide to go small and play like Cam Reddish or DeAndre Hunter or something at center, um, obviously it would be tough for Vooch to run around on the three-point line and guard those players. But what's so interesting when I envision the Bulls in the playoffs is they have a curveball that a lot of teams don't have. They have an answer to switching that most teams don't have, which is an honest-to-God post-up big to where you can throw Vooch the ball in the low post and he'll go to work and get you a bucket in a variety of ways. So the Bulls are interesting to where I don't think small teams will be able to play Vooch off the floor because they will score on the Bulls probably at a high clip. But at the other end of the floor, those small teams have to do just as good of a job as being able to shut down Vucevic in the post. Um, And we've seen when Vooch gets going in the post, teams very quickly start to resort to quick double teams and things to try to make him uncomfortable. And all that does is open up open three-point looks for everyone else on the Bulls. So I would keep Vooch around just because I think having a player at his size who is a true post-up option that can also space to the three-point line, it just gives you an interesting uh, sort of option to dominate small ball lineups in the postseason. And if the whole thing is about getting to the postseason, I think Vooch is just a worthwhile player to have on the roster. So as I hinted, the 2022 free agency class could be a big one. And again, it's always fluid situation. But let's say that some of these names like Steph Curry, Chris Paul, enter unrestricted free agency, uh, Kyrie Irving maybe opts out, Russell Westbrook maybe opts out, Kevin Durant has the ability to opt out, so does Jimmy Butler. Also, you can add James Harden to that list. But with that in mind, um, if those guys are available, you'd have to get a little bit creative with cap space. Now, in your situation, you signed Dennis Schroeder to a more team-friendly deal with an early opt-out, and you didn't really spend a ton of money on some of those other additions for you know rim protection and on the wings. You do have a player, though, in Kobe White, who would be owed $7 million, it would be his, his fourth year option. Would you opt in and make him part of this core? Or would you try to free up the extra cap space by letting him go? Um, so based off of where Kobe is, I definitely opt in and keep him. And it comes from the fact that I think, you know, again, I'm very high on Kobe, maybe, you know, higher than the average person. Um, and again, it's not wild what I'm going to say in terms of his floor here. I think he's almost at the point to where at worst he is a Lou Williams, you know, light. And that's, you know, not being a six man of the year necessarily, but he's going to be a guard that you can bring off the bench and he can get you 20 points on any given night. Those don't grow on trees. So Yeah, I, I want to jump in actually real quick, Mike, because I this is something I think that's so important. I'm glad you said it. Like, I think a lot of people... And when I say overvalue Kobe White, I think they lump too many expectations on him. I think because he was drafted seventh overall in a draft that was top-heavy and Bulls fans were kind of pissed that they ended up with the seventh pick for the third straight year, I think we kind of all had these high expectations that we were going to maybe, maybe luck into a high like caliber point guard or superstar level player. 
And really, Kobe White's still a very productive player. Like, you bring up Lou Williams. If you're picking Lou Williams seventh overall in an NBA draft, I mean, that's big deal if you get that caliber of a player there. That's a, you know, a multi-time six-man of the year. And, you know, I'll give you another comp that I think I could definitely see with Kobe White is like a Drew Holiday-type player, that kind of a combo guard. And if that's who you're getting at number seven, that's pretty good. So I feel like some Bulls fans need to have, like, that realistic expectation. I, I do agree with you. Like, that's why I I also would opt into a guy like Kobe White because he's a very valuable player. He does have production, but I think some people maybe were expecting a little too much maybe than, than what he actually is. Yeah, and I think a big part of that, too, is um, people are looking at just the, you know, the big picture stuff, which is the Bulls need a guy who's a great passer and a great defender. And Kobe White so far, while he improved a lot this year as a passer, um, you know, he's never been a great passer or a great defender. But what people are ignoring, which is the most important thing with rookies and players who are that young, is the growth. You know, what what do things look like year to year? Um, And Kobe shot better from the three-point line while shooting, you know, way more three-point attempts per game. Uh, His scoring, you know, went up. Um, his field goal percentage went up. He shot 90% from the free throw line, uh, though he didn't get there a lot. So there are a ton of great things with Kobe White defensively. You know, he wasn't great, but I thought he fought through screens a lot more than we saw his rookie year. Um, But the biggest thing is just the fact that his rookie year, Kobe averaged uh, just under three assists per game. This year, he averaged 4.8, almost five assists per game. So, it's obvious with added responsibility on the playmaking side, he was able to take that on and become a better player. Um, so I think year to year, you're just going to keep seeing the improvement. And if Kobe went on the trajectory that he's went on through these first two seasons, you know, obviously the injury derails him a little bit, but this is just a loose projection. If he kept playing, developing the way he was, that means this upcoming season, Kobe White could potentially be a point guard that's given you you know, 17 points and five assists a game. (laughs) That's, you know, talking about a player who's nearing all-star level if they were on a winning team in a winning situation. So um, definitely I think that because, like you said, the expectations are so high and that people are so ready to look at the weaknesses, they're sort of missing how great Kobe White already is at a few key things, which is creating looks for others, knocking down deep three-point shots, and then hitting the defensive boards, which rebounding is very big for a player who doesn't have a great wingspan despite being six foot four. So, um, yeah, I'm all in on Kobe, and I'm re-signing him, as you said, just because I think he has much more value to you on your roster than he does somewhere else. Because, again, even if you get to the point where you want to trade Kobe, I think there are teams that are going to be lining up um, to trade for Kobe White in the future and you don't have to listen to me if you don't believe me Kevin Durant you know has went on the record talking about how Kobe White's one of his favorite young players to watch so um, players around the league know that Kobe White is a hard worker and they know how fast this guy is the athleticism he has so I think really all it takes is a little bit of experience and a little bit of experience and Kobe can very clearly uh, be a starting level point guard it's just a matter of if he'll be a good enough starter uh, fought for the Bulls to reach their goals, which is why we're talking about them signing these much older players right now. All right, I'm actually going to throw you a bit of a curveball. This is something that I haven't done with our other guests. 
So I feel like with all of these big name free agents that could be available in 2022, like you basically would say yes to almost any one of them. If, if Steph Curry said, yeah, I want to come play with the Bulls, I, I don't think any Bulls fan would sit here and say, oh, well, I don't need Steph Curry. I, you would do it in a heartbeat. If Kevin Durant said, I want to come play in Chicago, you'd do that in a heartbeat. There's a lot of names like that that you would easily yeah, sign. If Bradley Beal said he wanted to try point guard in a heartbeat. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you would do it. So I'm going to throw this at you instead, Mike. Do you think it's more likely that the Bulls will be able to land one of these big-name free agents? Because, like I mentioned before, we thought we were going to have a star-studded 2021 free agent class and it turned out that they all signed extensions with their current teams. So do you think it's more realistic that the Bulls could find themselves with one of these big-name stars that could be available in 2022? Or do you think that they're going to try to go after somebody in the next crop via the trade market? So guys like Carl Anthony Towns or maybe a now slightly disgruntled Zion Williamson you know, one of those type of scenarios. Um, I think that you would see the Bulls um, definitely more likely in that second half because when I look at those players who are coming up in that 2022 crop, um, you know, JaVale, or not JaVale, excuse me, got JaVale McGee on the brain for some reason. Bradley Beal, um, you know, would be great, but he's not someone I see leaving. Obviously, like you said, Steph Curry, Durant, all the big names you don't really see leaving their situation. Russell Westbrook, is great as a big time point guard, same with John Wall. But while those guys are in their early 30s, they have so much mileage. You know, I'm not sure you're trying to pay them the amount of money that they'd be looking for. So I just want to make a quick note that out of all the 2022 free agents um, or potential free agents, the only player who I could see uh, being someone that comes to Chicago, besides the lower name guys like Ricky Rubio, but the big name guys, Jimmy Butler is interesting. <laughs> I know people would laugh at that. But just the fact that Jimmy, obviously, for all intents and purposes, loved playing in Chicago and I think still has tons of property here, just didn't really like the front office and the coaching regime. And fortunately for Jimmy, I think most of the people that he didn't really get along with are probably no longer (laughs) with the Bulls or at least no longer in power positions. So if things were to go south in Miami to where for some reason they couldn't field, you know, competitive teams that were thinking about transitioning or his name comes up in trade rumors. I think you could see a world where the Bulls are enticing enough. And if they have the, you know, max money to offer the deal with a brand new brain trust and a great coach um, and a fun player in Zach Levine, I think you could see a funny world where Jimmy Butler says he wants to play with the guy he was traded for because it doesn't take much to see how a Jimmy Butler, Zach Levine pairing would be great. Um, Jimmy Butler's a great passer and an excellent defender. Um, and while he's not a three-point shooter, he can hit the mid-range and play at pick and roll. So Jimmy doing a little homecoming is the only superstar type thing I could see happening because, you know, that could be just the only place he sees where he could get a big deal while still being sort of the guy in a way um, with Levine and Vooch. But the more realistic thing is what you said uh, there, Matt, the second one, the Bulls are looking at that next disgruntled superstar list or maybe trying to get a young player like D'Angelo Russell or someone who's under contract. Um, I like that name you mentioned, Carl Anthony Towns, because, you know, obviously Vooch would probably be involved somehow in a deal as a sort of 
you know, sending out, or maybe you're trying to get Towns as a free agent. But in any event, you know Zach Levine and Carl Anthony Towns have a real relationship off the court. Um, and that's really where these big free agent and trade deals and stuff start nowadays is obviously the players having that relationship. And so the fact that Levine and Cat get along, and obviously the Bulls aren't sending Levine back to Minnesota anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, if the if you know Minnesota eventually wants to get off of you know Carl Anthony Towns because he says that he's out, the Bulls may be in a position to where they can give you a Patrick Williams, a Kobe White, all these players who two three years in the future may be very well established young players. So. I think Carl Anthony Towns is definitely the the best name to keep an eye on just because it doesn't really get much bigger than him in terms of superstars unless you're talking about Damian Lillard naming the Bulls as his top choice. Well, and the Carl Anthony Towns situation, I I brought this up on on past episodes. You know, there is the Zach Levine connection. And also, even without the first-round draft capital, a guy like Carl Anthony Towns – because of that connection with Levine, might force his hand. And if in your scenario where you have the Bulls kind of in that five to eight range and they take this big step up next year, it would not surprise me if he looks at Chicago, looks at his friend Zach Levine and says, that's where I want to go. And, you know, at that point, Minnesota might not have a choice if that's the only place he's willing to go to. Like, we've kind of seen that happen in the league. You know, Jimmy Butler forced his way to Philadelphia and then to Miami. So if a player wants to go somewhere and that's the only place they want to go to, you can move hell or high water to make it happen. And I I do think that would be a a really interesting scenario. And at that point, you also have Zach and Carl Anthony Towns' timelines lined up perfectly too at roughly the same age. He's definitely a big player to look at just because, as you mentioned, with Vucevic's contract – it sort of does line up perfectly for where if the Bulls already know that's a big move that's possible for them, you could sort of see the writing on the wall with what they do with Vucevic in the future in terms of renegotiating a much lower contract or just letting him go or moving him sort of before that time period. So it could get interesting, but I definitely think that you would see the Bulls sort of leverage Levine's relationship. So that would mean something – Huge and exciting, like Carl Anthony Towns being an option, or it could even be something a lot less exciting, uh, like Andrew Wiggins being traded uh, from Golden State for not a lot, just because maybe Golden State wants to get off of Wiggins' contract and the Bulls think he could be a perfect wing player. So, you know, that's not an idea that I'd be excited about necessarily, but it's just an example of the Bulls have a few different avenues for sure if they want to bring in players that Levine has some relationships with who also would actually fit the lineup. Um, I want to just say, Mike, thanks for coming on. I always enjoy any time that you come on here. Uh, now, again, you, you did throw out some plugs, which I'm very happy you did. You threw out your Twitter handle, at ZenMasterMike. Uh, you threw out Bulls Confidential a couple of times here, which is very good. But now you're also part of Action Network, right? Yeah, so definitely. Um, you would go to actionnetwork.com. Um, for this past season, I was mostly covering things on the NBA side, um, but we're moving more towards the NFL as the season fast approaches. But yeah, definitely check out the actionnetwork.com and definitely make sure to get the Action Network app uh, because I can definitely say, unbiased opinion, it really is the best app to track all of your bets and sort of see how you're doing. So still got my fingers crossed 
for the Bucks to win the title as I'm still riding that futures ticket. But we'll see. It's not a real series until a team loses at home. So I'll be excited for game three. So, yeah, definitely check out Action Network. And as I said multiple times, Bulls Confidential is bullsconf.com. And I'll definitely make sure to have stuff on my Twitter at Master Mike. That's probably the best place to keep up with everything. But, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Matt. There's really not a lot for us Bulls fans to do right now besides speculate about the future. And you know how that can drive us insane. So <laughs> it's definitely fun to be able to talk about some of the possibilities with you. Well, that's always what's fueled this podcast is just constant speculation. So, and Mike, appreciate the time, and we'll definitely have you on again soon. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.